She clambers over the fence and strides out into the field. It is autumn, cold. An arctic wind blows and her coat billows behind her. Rain falls in a sudden shower, but she pushes on into the green distance and further, towards the blue rise where the woodlands begin. It is like wading into the sea, she thinks. The wind against her, the grass up at her knees. They go on for miles, these grazing lands, and the further she walks, the smaller she becomes, until she is just a thin black mark against the fen. Henry must be wondering where she's got to. She could never be lost here. But she could disappear, she thinks, as she passes the slow cows chewing frozen ground, steam rising from their flanks. She passes the pond, covered now with silvery ice, the frosted hedge of brambles. Above her, the sky is mottled brown and grey, and the air smells of dung and grass. The leaves on the hawthorns are gone. Those on the horse chestnuts are still browning and falling. She is on her way back from the doctor's, so it must be a Monday, or perhaps Tuesday. Dr. Pascoe only sees patients Mondays and Tuesdays. How can I lose track of time like this, she thinks. Dates do not seem to matter. One day feels the same as the next. But they do matter, the doctor assured her. They do indeed. You must be mistaken, she said. You cannot be right. She startles at the sound of a crow. The certainty, impossible, that the call is that of her child. The sound coming towards her as she moves further away, her own voice drifting back. Lucy, is that you? No, of course not. It's just a bird, the baby asleep at home. Charlotte watches the crow swoop down, coast on a low current of air and land further out. She can count on one hand the time she's left the house alone without the baby. And every time it is the same. How she startles at every long high note, thinking it is Lucy. She feels the strange phantom sense of the child's weight against her hip. The loose stone of her head lolling asleep on her shoulder. The crow calls again. She sees it call, the open black beak, the silky lifted throat and her skin prickles. A gust of wind disperses the cry. The sound rises up, then floats down over the field, coming from everywhere and nowhere all at once. Her arms suddenly ache to hold her daughter. She looks back, but can't see her bike. Where did she leave it? Perhaps it is over that way, behind the hedges. But the field appears the same from every direction, She finds her way to the fence and begins to trace a path back along the perimeter. Above her, the clouds ripple and bend, moving herd-like towards a distant corner of the sky. Her stomach heaves. She stops, holds onto the fence, leans down towards the grass and vomits a string of yellow bile. She stays that way a moment, hunched over, gripping the wood and dry retching, then wipes her mouth with the sleeve of her coat and rests her head against the railing. It'll pass soon, the doctor said. These things always do. She weeps then at the memory of his words. All for a good cause now, he'd said. All for a good cause.
She remembers last night's dream, that the two of them, she and Henry, were looking at rainbow-colored paintings in Vienna. They stood before a very bright canvas, and Henry said to her, It is the color of your soul forming. He looked at the painting as he spoke, and she knew he was not talking about her, about her soul, but about the soul of the child now growing inside her. The child she has not yet told him about, although it is his. She pushes back out into the field, walking faster now, puffing a little, her breath white in the thin cold air. Icy grass crunches underfoot, her toes numb in her wet shoes. She was supposed to ride into town and ride home again, not stop like this and disappear into the wilds.